Champagne, Illinois native Emily Harrington coming to you from Kitchen Table Studios in the ever-evolving, sometimes boring, flatlands of Champaign-Urbana for the next podcast episode of Hyperlocals, where townies and transplants share their tales of tears and triumphs, losses and wins. So stay tuned to catch the characters behind the beloved Twin Cities of CU. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Hyperlocals podcast. We have a special guest, somewhat intimidating because he is a police officer. Da, 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 dum. We have Mr. John Brown, a Rantoul born and raised and Champaign County resident all his life. Hi, John. Hello. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Oh, Thanks good. for having me on your show. Yeah, thank you. Are you nervous? Not at all. Okay, great. And I got his credentials before the show started, and it's an entire page. So I'm going to run through this. He's given me his current and previous experience, and it is extensive. He is the current mayor of Savoy, the current public guardian and public administrator of Champaign County, a retired U of I lieutenant, and the current deputy chief of police in Tolono, and he is running for Champaign County Sheriff in the November elections. Correct. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was tough, you guys. He had a lot. We are going to talk to John about some misconceptions about police, some clarifications about police, and the current state of affairs in and around our area, if you're up for it, John. No problem. Okay. These are some questions that came up as I was thinking about my experience with police and in general, the questions I have. The first one that came to mind was, what's the difference between sheriffs and cops? Is there a difference? There isn't really much of a difference. The sheriff is a uh, constitutional office in Illinois, so every county is required to have a sheriff and also operate a jail. The main difference, the sheriff is the conservator of the peace for the county. Now, municipalities can have their own police departments, Okay. They don't necessarily have to. There's some, like Savoy, we contract with the sheriff's office instead of having our own police department. You know, we contract to have so many deputies working in the village and so forth. But the main difference with the sheriff is the sheriff is also the warden in the jail. Okay. Which uh, he's also required to hold prisoners that have been remanded from the court. Okay. People that can be sentenced to the jail for misdemeanors up to Mm -hmm. a year in jail, which the sheriff's responsible for. Also, the sheriff or a deputy Mm -hmm. is usually more likely, especially a county like our size. But the sheriff's also required to attend the court when it's in session. The sheriff is considered an officer of the court. Okay. If there's no sheriff or deputy at the court during session, they cannot hold the court. Okay. The sheriff is responsible for executing any order of the court like evictions serving order protections okay they're even responsible for any arrest warrants serving those 
although municipal police officers are also given that authority to serve arrest warrants and so forth. So the sheriff is and also responsible for the courthouse and the courthouse security. So And it's an elected position. Yes, the sheriff's elected in Illinois okay. every four years. Why is it that I get nervous around police for some reason, even if I haven't done anything wrong? So if I'm driving down the street, okay, and there's a police car behind me, I start to get nervous and I slow down, I make sure everything looks legit, and I immediately feel intimidated. And even when we set up this interview, I thought if he pulls up in a cop car, my neighbors are going to think something's wrong, even if it isn't. So what's that intimidation factor? Well, I think it goes back to everybody as a child because, uh, you know, you never wanted to get in trouble by your parents. Yeah. And even, you know, growing up, I'd mentioned to you, my father-in-law, when I was first born, was the chief investigator for Champaign County and then later sheriff for 12 years. And even as a kid, even growing up in the background, if, yeah. you know, when I was a kid, we were driving. If we had a police officer behind us, yeah, we were nervous. Yeah. I mean, there were... You know, even if we were just, uh, you know, screwing off doing something, if a police officer said something to us, the heart rate would get going and we were thought we were going to be in trouble. And I grew up in Rantoul where my dad went to high school and knew everybody there. So it didn't matter if it was a police officer or not. Somebody knew who we were and it got reported back to my father if we did anything remotely wrong. But I think it stems back from that because uh, most people don't want to get in trouble. And so you have that fear you know, even if you're not doing anything wrong, maybe, yeah. you know, in the back of your mind, you're wondering, am I doing something right. wrong? Am I going to get stopped? So I think it, it goes back to, you know, childhood and, yeah, you know, how you felt thinking you're going to get in trouble by your parents, your yeah. babysitter, or your yeah. grandparents, you know, if you were doing something that you weren't supposed to. So myth or fact, is it true that you can go five miles per hour over the speed limit and not get pulled over? Well, I wouldn't say it's a fact because you can get pulled over. Is this a grace period, those five miles? Is that a known thing or is that just a rumor? No, I mean, there's one well-known community in Champaign County, a small town that the chief is known for giving tickets for... One mile per hour. For one mile. For, I mean, they the village that I'm referring to, they don't want to name, but <laughs> I mean, they've used the fines they receive as a... Oh, way wow. of raising money for the police department there. So, so if it says 35. Yeah, the speed limit is 35. But, okay. you know, when I'd mentioned to you that my identical twin brother and I both went into law enforcement and we actually worked together at the U of I oh, that's neat. police department for 27 years. That was pretty cool. We're so much alike and people say we even sound alike and yeah. everything else. He retired from the U of I as a deputy chief of police and then got hired as the police chief in Rantoul. But you know, the one thing that my father told us when we were brand new and starting out, he told us two things. One thing was you want to treat everybody like you would if it was your grandmother. And the other thing he told us is you want to enforce the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. And to Mm. me, you know, if you stop someone and give them a ticket for going one mile per hour over, technically that would be enforcing the letter of the law, but it wouldn't necessarily be enforcing the spirit of the law. Yeah. Because... Anybody that's ever looked at the Illinois Vehicle Code Mm -hmm. would understand that it's impossible for anybody to obey that 100% of the time. Sure. I mean, technically, if you go past a stop line a little bit, you've disobeyed the stop sign. Technically, you could get a ticket. But, you know, several months ago, actually at a village board meeting, 
we were talking about the speed limit in Savoy and one of the trustees had brought up that, you know, he thought the police should start just start enforcing the law and get start giving tickets for yeah. you know, just, you know, one mile over, two miles yeah. over. And I brought up the fact that, you know, we already have an issue with how people view the police yeah. in many parts of our society and don't trust the police and are angry at the police. I said, if we did that, we'd end up alienating yeah. the people that do support us if sure. we became that rigid. With that said, and we're going to get to that area of questioning, but another question I have is, do police have to fulfill a quota of tickets given? No, no. Quotas are actually illegal in Illinois. Okay, so that's you another cannot, kind of yeah. rumor surrounding. Now, I do know years ago, the Illinois State Police were required to make so many traffic stops and issue so many. But like I said, they and Champaign back in the 80s had a program in which they got points for how many tickets they wrote, how many arrests they made, so forth. And if I remember the program correctly, whoever had the most points would get a... That's you know, some terrible. kind of reward. And, you know, it, it was, I think it, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty good with history, but <laughs> if I remember correctly, the courts, you know, some of the Champaign County judges or the judge that was handling traffic court uh, started throwing out tickets because it was getting this. ridiculous. You know, I think if I remember right, they would get the person that had the most contacts. And I mean, there were other things like subject contacts and so forth sure. that you could get points for. But, you know, you had some people that were writing a bunch of tickets because they, I think they'd win a trip somewhere, if I remember right. So the courts started throwing out tickets because of that. And so they changed their program. But So that does not exist any longer, but at one point. I know the state police had rules about how many people they had to stop and how many contacts they had to do and stuff like that. So I know that at one time that. You know, there were departments that had quotas that they were requiring officers to write so many tickets. And were rewarded. Most municipalities in the county, you know, they get a portion of the fine that goes back to the general fund. But the U of I and the state police, but I think the state police may have changed. But like at the University of Illinois, when a ticket was written at the U of I, that money went to the county. Okay. So there was no... Incentive. I mean, we always encouraged, you know, more warnings than tickets. Sure, but, yeah. And we always encouraged, if you're going to write a ticket, write it for something that's going to cause an accident or yeah. that was dangerous. You know, so I loved growing up in that environment where yeah. there wasn't pressure put on you. Yeah. You know, nobody likes to be stopped. And most people are nervous if they get stopped. And yeah, I've always just tried to use a little empathy and understanding, yeah. you know, but even working at Tolono, I mean... People like to speed through town, but, you know, I try to take everything in consideration. And I mean, but then again, you know, writing tickets, that comes with newer officers. I mean, when it's all exciting still and, (laughs) you know, you're, I don't want to say you're drunk with authority, but you're, you know, you have, you're, you know, 22 years old, 23 years old and you, you know, think you have this power and, you know, they go out and stop everybody. They write a bunch of tickets and. Once you mature as a police officer and you've done that, yeah, it's like, eh, you know, I don't need to write everybody. Right. The excitement, it's not the same. You kind of mature as a police officer as you get years of service in. So let's say I do get pulled over. I'm going 10 to 15 miles over the speed limit. What's the best course of action for me to get a warning versus a ticket? And let's say I have a clean record. What do I need to do? 
to be perceived as more innocent than more guilty. Well, I mean, if you're going 15 over, depending on the police officer, there may be nothing you can do. 15 is a little excessive. Okay, but if it's say, with, if six. it's, yeah, well, I mean, six to 10, I mean, be honest with you, probably honesty is probably the, because okay. I mean, the officer, if he's being stopped for speed, he was either following you or he got yeah. you on radar. And, you know, so there's really no point to argue about it. I think the biggest mistake people make sometimes is, you know, wanting to argue and, you know, especially when they, you know, they know that they know the facts. arguing isn't going to really help out things i mean you know the officer's stopping you so they're you know they wouldn't be stopping you unless they believe you're the one doing it so okay um i mean the best thing i think that's always worked for me anyway is for people to be honest but like i said i've been doing it for a lot of years so somebody gives me a a reasonable excuse Mm -hmm. i i'm pretty empathetic nowadays with stuff like that so so just be honest and kind yeah, I mean, that's your best chance of... And maybe squeeze out a few tears. We're kind of on to that one. Okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> Fair uh, enough. I mean, but if I think it's legitimate. Okay. You know, because you can usually tell sure. I mean, if someone's really nervous. And like I said, like in Solano, people, even though they pass five speed limit signs, by the yeah. time I, you know, might catch them on radar, I try to be, I mean, I still try to be understanding and... and uh, Especially if they're from out of town and, you know, because if you're trying to get someplace, you may have something else on your mind or whatever. So, I mean, I try to put myself in their situation and act accordingly. I mean, I find if you use a little empathy and understanding, it goes so far. And I've always been a believer in, like I said, if someone hasn't been stopped recently for the same thing, Mm -hmm. unless it's excessive speed, I'd rather give a warning than... You know, I love give that. A, give them a chance. I'm I mean, all for that. I, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, if it's something that's not excessive, then go with the warning. Give them a chance to correct whatever problem they had. Because mm-hmm. like I said, nobody driving is, is going to be perfect at doing yeah. it every single day. You can't obey all the laws. Sure. Or it's almost impossible to obey all the laws. Yeah. So. Can you tell me about the scariest situation you've ever been in in active duty as a police officer? I have a few different avenues I could go down with this one. Okay. Um, I mean, I have the scariest, the most adrenaline dump that I've ever had story. I have the closest I probably ever came to shooting somebody's story. Let's start with the adrenaline story. Let's go with that. And then Oh, we're going to talk about more than one? Maybe. Okay. Depends. When I was a young officer, I was part of uh, the uh, Metro SWAT team, and we had been activated for a barricaded uh subject at a trailer park and and the guy was shooting a rifle out and uh after about eight hours the sheriff wanted us to go in and try to capture this person and i will tell you then involved throwing flashbangs that produce sound and light into the trailer before we made entry but you know to be standing at the doorway wondering if you're going to get shot as you come in the doorway and hearing the countdown oh god before you know, you from 10 on down, and then the flashbangs going in and lighting. It's dark, so it lights up everything, the concussion. And, you know, I would say that that is the biggest adrenaline dump I've had in my life. What did you find on the other side of the door? Well, the gentleman ended up taking his own life when we were about six feet from him. So, Jeez. 
you hear stories from police officers, other people put in stressful situations. And, you know, it's true. I mean, everything goes in slow motion. You get super focused eyesight. To this day, I don't remember hearing the gunshot mm. when the guy took his life. And it comes back to you later on, you know, what took place and stuff like that. In like a PTSD way a little no, bit? No, no. I've never had an issue with that. Yeah. I, I've been very lucky. I mean, I've seen some, Bad you know, stuff. from, you know. Um, I mean, I remember one day at the U of I, we had, a, I mean, it was in the news several years ago where a student decided to keep a pregnancy hidden. And, oh, I remember that. And I got, I mean, when so I, you were working I was, by then? yeah, I was the lieutenant on call. So the sergeant calls me and tells me, what they had learned and I'm like we got a baby out here someplace so oh I you know I came in immediately and by the time I show up their officers taking this baby out of the bag so so this was a student who was pregnant who didn't want mm-hmm. to tell anyone she gave birth in a dorm room yep yep and then the state's attorney let her plead to endangering the life of a child and she got seven years and the baby did not survive no so uh, you were on scene for that mm-hmm. oh Okay, that's a bad one. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, So that was at the this, end of your tenure there. No, it was probably about four years before. I was lieutenant, and, and I like I said, I was on call that, that month, so I got called, and I recognized what the situation was. I even going into, when I was headed to, into work, I had called the chief. You know, I told him, I think we have a dead baby out there. And sure enough, that's what happened. But And did you confront the mom? Did you see the mom? Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, she had just given birth. We called Jeez. an ambulance for her, and, and I mean, she was probably 19, 20, or she was living in the dorm, so she was probably 19. But I mean, you got to remain professional. I mean, oh you have gosh. to. It's amazing you don't have that stuff replay in your head. Well, I, I kind of think because, you know, growing up around it all my life, you know, I've always been able to kind of separate it from... Compartmentalize, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the officer who actually took the baby out of the bag, he had issues, so... Jeez. I know, he had a very difficult time with it, so... Tell me about this scene when we were deciding which story you were going to tell, about when you thought you were going to shoot someone for the first time. Yeah, we had... Uh, I was a lieutenant... This working, is U of I again. Yeah, U of I was working on day shift, and... You know, we were very concerned about active shooters there and were highly trained to, you know, respond to that situation. But we had had uh, FBI agent was doing some kind of check or a background check or something at one of the buildings. And he called and reported seeing a man with a gun running into one of the buildings. So we respond and, you know, I had officers checking a different building that we thought he was referring to. And then we ended up finding him. And about the time we find the FBI agent and he points out to the building, a guy comes running out of the building. Is this an academic building? Yes. The newest architectural building there. Okay. The guy comes running out of the building towards us and stops. And we, you know, think this doesn't look right. So we go to, we start approaching him to mm-hmm. see what's going on, wondering if maybe he's the person. And then... As we get to him, all of a sudden, another guy comes running up the... He was there in the basement level coming up the stairs, holding what looked to be a real gun. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so we approached that person, and, and he wasn't listening to commands. You know, we kept telling him to drop it, drop it, drop it, and he didn't immediately drop it. Do you have your guns pulled? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like I told you, that you're in a situation like that, your senses become finely tuned finely tuned yeah 
And I don't know what it was, but I could see uh, where just a little bit of orange on one piece of the... I mean, it turned out to be a little tiny sliver of orange. You know, I remember thinking, I think that's a fake gun. After a couple seconds, he dropped it and you could hear the, you know, that it was plastic. But it looked so real. And, uh, you know, like I said, he didn't immediately, you know, obey our commands. If he would have started to turn that gun in our direction... You would have had to the shoot. The guy would have been dead. And then, because it was a toy, Ugh, it turns out, that looked just like a real one, we would have been subject to yeah. protest and calls for us to be prosecuted and everything else. But like I said, you're yeah. in a situation like that, your senses become so heightened. heightened. And you know, I remember looking at the toy later, and it was just such a small little sliver. What was but that guy trying to achieve? They, it was spring break, and the students had decided to shoot a movie. Oh my god! In the building, or you know, like a student production yeah. movie, and didn't bother to tell anybody. And so the FBI agent sees them running in, yeah, sure. and he thinks there's a gunman that's running this building. And then he, the way he came running out, which is all part of the scene. Oh no! And and I remember the kid kept insisting that if we would have shot him, we would have been in the wrong. And no matter what we told them or explained to them, people have a misperception about, first of all, we're not paid to get killed. Mm-hmm. They don't pay us enough for that. Um, but police officers are allowed to use force based on what they see at the time and what a reasonable police officer in their position would believe at the time. People like to go back in hindsight mm-hmm. when you have more facts available and judge police officers' actions based on facts the police officer didn't know then. Right. They they base it on what they reasonably believe at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of our big problems with uh, some of these instances that have happened around the nation is, you know, police officers only have a split second to make a decision. Right. And like I said, they have to base it on what they're seeing. And, you know, I remember there was a case oh, a couple of years ago where a 14-year-old got shot by the police in a major city uh-huh. that had a fake gun. You don't know that at the time. I right. mean, in hindsight, you know that. Right. I mean, there's 14-year-old kids that look pretty grown up. Sure. I mean, people like to judge things on 2020 vision of hindsight, which unfortunately, police officers don't have that ability at the time. Right. So, Do you fear going into work or during those times? Was there any fear when you started your shift? No, no, not at all. Jeez. I mean, like I said, I, I grew up around it. So, you know, they, especially when you're going through police training, you're trained to be suspicious of everybody. And you go to do the training, you think every traffic stop is going to yeah. have somebody with a gun or every yeah. domestic. I mean, the domestics are one of the, statistically, one of the highest instances in which cops are hurt or killed. But in reality, you know, when you're dealing with it every day, you, you know, you see what kind of the reality is. And, right. I mean, you can't live your life in fear. I mean, if we lived our lives in fear, then we wouldn't be able to accomplish anything. That's true. What do you see as the biggest concerns facing our community? And do you feel like the worst is behind us? We've been through a bad few years. Do you feel like we're on the other side or are we still in the thick of it? You know, if you're referring, I'm referring to gun to violence. I'm referring to community violence. Yeah. yeah community, mostly that's uh, gun violence. I would like to think that we are coming out of it, but I don't know if that's quite true. I mean, I, I know that last year in the 
just the areas the county is responsible for, you know, shooting incidents were up by 12%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they had an increase even. Those areas are generally less because they're a lot of them more rural. And But there's parts of Champaign-Urbana that are actually in the county that people don't realize are in the county where these uh, incidents have taken place. But, I mean, every major city in the United States seems to be having similar problems. You know, I think Champaign's numbers are higher than most most for especially for a, yeah. a, a, a city of comparable size but you know because of the demonization of police officers that occurred the state passing of the safety act at four in the morning before anybody could really read the bill that really caused a lot of people that could retire left people even people that weren't even close to retirement a lot of good police officers left the profession i'm the commander of the uh, Ilias of uh, Region 7 Mobile Field Force, and that's uh, joint, has officers from 12 different counties, Bloomington, Normal, Decatur, Champaign, Urbana, Champaign County, U of I, and so forth. And I can't tell you how many people that have were on the team that have just quit policing and not even close to retirement. They're just had enough of it, especially in Champaign and Urbana. You know, the officers don't feel they're they have the support of their leaders and the of the community. And I know that it's not true. I mean, every day you get people thank you for what you do. So yeah. it's not all the community. Sure. But because of, you know, these issues with the two things I mentioned, I mean, Champaign is still down so many officers. And uh, I have to say U of I isn't having a problem at all. At U of I, we always, we've always done a great job policing the community. And we... I've always done a good job of communicating with the community and our officers always, or I can't say always because there's always sure, you know, somebody always, out yeah. there that, yeah. But, you know, we knew how to talk to the community. And uh, so, I mean, U of I is actually hiring, you know, expanding the department and not having a problem hiring people. But, you know, Champaign is having difficulty. They're still down a lot of officers. And you think that's a direct correlation with the increase in violence? Lower protection. No, I, I would, yeah, I would say that that has a role in it. Police officers, you know, especially if they don't feel they have the support of the community or especially of their elected officials or city, you know, in Champaign, the people don't understand the mayor really doesn't have a lot of power. It's the city manager that runs everything and has really all the control of who gets hired and, and so forth. And, you know, the mayor gets a lot of blame for anything negative that happens, but it a lot of times it's it's not like in Savoy where I as the mayor am the head of the of the mm-hmm. village and sure. you know I'm kind of running things through the village administrator in Champaign it's it's different the the mayor is you know the figurehead for ceremonial things right and the mayor's the chairperson of the city council right but Really, the mayor is just another city council person. Right. And just has a vote like everybody else. It's the city manager that really controls everything. Uh, but you know, a lot of the police officers in Champaign-Urbana are stopped being proactive. They've essentially turned into worried that if someone complains, they're not going to get the support that right. they used to get. So they're not going to be proactive. And I, I would say also the economy plays a factor in it, too. You know, I remember the crime was high in the 80s mm. when the economy wasn't doing so hot. Oh, that's interesting. And 
really a few years ago, crime was relatively low. I mean, hmm. and so I think the economy plays a factor in it. Too. Do you think and the pandemic did? People are restless and angry and unemployed and... Well, I think... In conjunction with the economy? Yeah, I think the pandemic kind of... Because people were cooped up. And yeah. And during that time, it, you know... I bet domestic violence was up, if nothing else. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just not one factor. It never yeah. is. But um, I think in time, crime, like attitudes about policing and how people view the police are on a pendulum. Yeah. You know, they go back and forth. And that's what I always try to tell new officers, especially when I was still at the U of I, when all this kind of started. Mm-hmm. Because I was around when Rodney King happened. Oh, sure. And it wasn't as bad as yeah. this. But, you know, there was a lot of political motivation behind, Yeah, you know, the most recent stuff. You know, I think the fact that people weren't happy, Trump was in office, a lot of people were unhappy with that. So there was motivation to create unrest and it's the perfect storm yeah i would say that so i think that, that this particular time was a little worse you know you're always told you can't judge a group based on what one person does right but somehow that's perfectly fine when it comes to police officers police officer acts badly probably somebody that should have been discharged long time ago but his city failed to take the proper action sure and it makes us all look bad yeah. then we all get blamed as if we're the same person and most people enter policing because they want to help people i know i entered policing from watching the example of my father and my mother who was a nurse for 35 years sure the public service and yeah the desire to make the world a better place that's why most people enter policing it's not to see how many people you can arrest or yeah ticket you know, or whatever but you know Police departments, they're made up of people from all walks of life and society, and nobody's perfect. And just like, you know, you see school teachers that are charged with inappropriate acts with students. So no matter how you try, when there's 800,000 police officers out there, there are going to be some that slip through the cracks. And you just hope that their departments identify those people before they do something to embarrass the profession and are sure or you know somebody gets hurt that shouldn't have been hurt so what we've been talking about we have kind of two different groups we have a back the blue group and we have the defund the police that has kind of come to light over the past year so how do we get the community collectively to look at the police with respect again and view them as protectors and not the enemy and this kind of goes hand in hand with if you were sheriff what would you change how would you make this a priority? Well, as I said, I think uh, attitudes about policing are on a pendulum, and I think they're already headed back. You do? Yes, I do. I mean, from what you see. And and l- let's face it, uh, for any of us in the profession, we predicted what would happen, you know, as the police were demonized and mm-hmm. with the crime spike and everything else. Now, people on the other side that don't agree with that are going to always blame something else, but... When a normal family has to be afraid to yeah. go out to eat at night or go right. up to North Prospect, and you have innocent people being shot in North Prospect, there's a deep problem, and the general population is not going to sit by and let that happen. It all comes back down to relationships. Like I said earlier, how police officers 
treat people they have come in contact with. School resource officers have been a topic, and there's some people that don't think police officers should be at the schools. But, you know, when a police officer is able to make a relationship with a young kid or a group of young kids, and they can see police officers in a positive light, then their whole view Uh changes. Moving forward, yeah. Well, first of all, there's a certain segment of society that don't want policing. They don't think that we need anybody in jail, that kind of stuff. So you're not going to be able to change those people. But, you know, I think they don't want police officers sometimes, I feel like, to be able to create those relationships with people. You look at after uh, the incident um, at Minnesota and all the defund police protest and everything else happened. I mean, all these TV stations took off the real life, like cops, and they were mm-hmm. all kinds of shows that showed police officers doing real things. You know, what was the point of taking those off the air? Oh, interesting. The only reason it would be is so that the, the general public couldn't see, you know, how most police officers act and the kind yeah. of things they deal with and the people they deal with. And, you know, people don't realize sometimes because, they, they, you know, they just watch TV. And unfortunately, TV, you know, those shows show you what really happens. But, you know, like our police shows on CSI, they're not realistic. You know, so I think that's where most people get their perception of what police officers do. The idea of less police on the street, I find scary, just in generally speaking. I look at, you know, people don't appreciate history like they should, and it's not taught in Mm -hmm. schools like it should be. You know, I think if I remember right, I mean, it's been a number of years since I was at SIU, so I'm trying to remember. I think it was Boston that had the first municipal police department. And it was actually, I think, in England that they actually, London was where the first police officers started. But, you know, that was because they needed to deal with with crime and not have the military deal with it. So they created, it started out as watchmen and then it transformed into policing we have today. I mean, there's a reason why policing started, you know. Why England had the tradition of the sheriff and that came over to this country and stuff. You know, you can say we don't need police officers, we don't need jails. You do away with those, then, you know, in a very short amount of time. Chaos. There'll be, yeah, it'll be chaos and we'll be seeing why we always had police officers, why those people were wrong. And this is a broad topic, but it's relevant and timely. School shootings and your take on gun safety. Is there anything you can say? on a local level that we should be doing that we're not doing? Well, I think the news in Texas has been news uh, lately, and it should be, and how the police in Texas responded to the incident. Now, so it's, it's just it, kind of echoing what you've yeah. been saying. Yeah, I mean, it is really too early. I mean, there's plenty of instances where things will get reported in the press yeah. that aren't necessarily true, and we find out later, but a lot of times at that point it's too late because people already have in their mind what they think took place. No matter how much you tell them something did or did not happen, they're not going to believe it. So it's a little early to actually judge what took place. Now, if the reports are true about what happened, then, you know, obviously people should be held accountable. I can tell you in Champaign County, uh, all the local police departments are trained the same way to respond, and we're trained to go towards the threat in like an active shooter situation. You know, that was always a main concern for us at the U of I. I mean, two active shooters, the one at Northern and I think the one in Colorado had connections to the University of Illinois. 
the one at Northern had graduated from Northern and was a graduate student at the U of I huh. and chose to go to Northern to oh, wow. do for the violence. And I think if I remember right, the incident that happened at the theater in Colorado years ago, I think he had been accepted into the U of I. Hmm. That used to be my biggest fear when I was first went to day shift as a sergeant was that I, that's one of the reasons I didn't want to go to day shift. Oh, I'm like, I was worried that of a school related. Well, that, you know, because so many of these started out on, on campuses, Virginia Tech, yeah. Northern. And I, I attended the FBI National Academy four years ago, which is a 10 week executive leadership course for law enforcement executives. And we would have every week or, or sometimes twice a week, we'd have people from around the nation that had been involved with different active shooter situations come in and that were there firsthand and tell us about what happened tell us lessons learned tell us you know what they learned through that process and the one thing that you come away with is you know for the first 30 minutes to an hour it's just chaos i mean from communications because if something happened at any of the places in champaign county you'd have officers coming from all the communities to it and like i said we're trained the same way so that you don't have to wait for officers from your own agency you can just take the first officers that arrive put them in a team and get them going and you're trying to go towards the sound of gunfire Jeez. so you can end the threat and if you don't hear gunfire then you start searching wow a methodical search until you find you locate the wrong i mean can you imagine the just communication issue right from a radio standpoint because all those officers and then at the same time trying to coordinate set up a perimeter in the quickest you know, amount of time possible. Yeah, and then you also have, as soon as an incident happens, people start calling 911 yeah. to find out what's going on and report, you know. So the telephone lines get overloaded. Mm. So nobody can call. Nobody can communicate that way. You know, the other interesting thing that we learned is almost all these active shooter instances, you end up getting... I don't want to say what turned out to be false reports mm-hmm. of other active shooters okay. in the area. <laughs> and a lot of t- these aren't people just trying to make it up. I mean, these are people that really believe that they are hearing gunshots or, yeah. you know, it might it's not gunshots most of the time, or they think they see somebody with a gun running. In some of- so not only are you having to deal with that, these agencies are normally having to send yeah. resources to, you know, what they right. think could be a second shooter out there. Right. So I yeah, like I said, when I was first going to day shift, that was one of my biggest biggest fears. fears. And luckily, that never happened. I'm going to end with this question, and this is also relatable to everyone. What's the simplest, easiest thing a civilian can do to keep themselves and their families safe? So I'm thinking: Is it an alarm system? Is it a dog? Is it a mace? Is it a gun? Well, I would say um, you know, make sure the lighting is good around your. If you're talking about oh, in yeah. your house, make yeah. sure your lighting's good. Make sure your doors locks work. Make sure they're locked. I can't um, believe how many people get upset that their car got broken into and they said it was in the driveway and unlocked. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I mean, that's not as. I mean, in the whole realm of things, when we're talking about violence, you know, car burglary isn't the biggest thing in the world have you ever gone on nextdoor.com oh yes oh yes i'm part of that god i mean that you but hear that early on in my career at the u of i multiple times a semester we'd get hit on a couple of different lots where they would break into 13 cars mm. but it would they break the glass Ew. and you know and enter that way sure but in the past 
four or five years, people leave their car doors unlocked and they just go in. So people would just lock the doors. That Uh would prevent a lot of these thefts from occurring. I mean, there's people leave their car keys. They'll leave weapons in the car. I mean, it's unbelievable what people leave in their cars and leave them unlocked in their driveway because they don't think that it's it's going to happen to them. Yeah. You know, and then people leave the garage doors open at night and then the house will get burglarized and stuff like that. But, you know, the biggest thing people can do is, I mean, use common sense. I mean, and be aware of your surroundings. Mm. You know, that's something we preach at the U of I. You know, if you're going to be out at night, don't go out by yourself. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to who's around you yeah. and uh, use a little common sense. And the other thing is pay attention to your sixth sense. If you get a feeling that something's not right, mm-hmm. it's probably not right. And you need to get yourself out of that situation mm. as quickly as you can. People tend to want to dismiss that sixth sense. And yeah, it's uh, more accurate than what people believe. I mean, alarm systems are good. I mean, especially to keep people from breaking in your house if they see you, you have an yeah. alarm sticker. They uh, are, are good go for to that. The next door. I mean, I would say that if you're going to be out having some uh, pepper spray, okay. Not everybody wants a gun, and you know, if you're going to carry a gun, you really need to be trained. Yeah, and then you than, have little kids. Yeah, and then you got to worry about keeping it secure, especially yeah. if you have little kids. Yeah, I would say that if you've never been around guns before and you're not comfortable with guns, then don't yeah. get a gun. Okay. We have you know, a baseball bat. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that can be very effective. I mean, and then, you know, if you don't think something's right, call 911. Okay. I, mean, I get all the time people apologizing, thinking yeah. they're bothering us. And that's what we're paid to do. I mean, call us if you think you need us. Okay. You might need our help. I'd rather it be nothing yes. than have someone not call. Right. And find out they really needed us. Okay. I mean, and, you know, like I said, Use good judgment. That is uh, a key to it. I I can remember one year at the U of I where a, a, a college student, probably the worst sexual assault I'd ever seen. I mean, she was beat up badly, and she was decided to take a ride from somebody because she didn't want to walk all the way home. The guy took her out to the South Area campus and raped her. And of course, the intoxication level probably didn't sure. help with her judgment. But still, I mean. You know, easily avoidable. You know, yes, and I mean, we ended up catching that person. And, oh, you did. Yeah, yeah. Identified a suspect and got DNA, and we were able to solve wow. that one. But I mean, you're looking at a 30 year career. That's the one that sticks out in my mind. That how badly beaten this girl was, and uh, you know, you hate to see that happen. Yeah. And especially, I have kids that age now too, and yeah. it's like, oh my god, if that would have happened to my daughter, I don't know what I'd do. Right, be beside myself, I suppose. Yeah, I guess that would probably be the best advice I could give people. Okay, John, thank you so much for your time. Tell me what people can do to support you, and what your next steps are here. Oh, for my run for sheriff. Yes. Um, well, if they'd like to learn more information, they can visit my website at. Uh, electbrownsheriff.com. We're also on Facebook under the same title, but I think it might be easier to find under Elect John Brown Sheriff uh, on Facebook. But, you know, we could always use support. And and if you're interested in a sign, my email is on the website. And also, if you want to support us financially, we're always having to get donations. It does cost money to run a campaign. So there's a mechanism to donate online too. So Okay. Anything else you want to add? No, it's just thank you for inviting me. It was awesome. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. Thank you, John. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening. However your podcast host of choice allows, please positively rate, review, comment, and give all the stars. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, share, and ring that notification bell so you know when the next episode drops. Also, search and follow HyperLocalCU on all social media. If I forgot anything or you need me, visit my website at HyperLocalCU.com. Bye!